Hi, this is Colin McCallan. Thank you for listening. Please do us a favor and leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. Thank you. Welcome to Is This Legal? Here are your hosts, attorneys Colin McCallan and Russell Hebbets. Hello, everyone out there. My name is Russell Hebbets. I'm here with my partner, Colin McCallan, for this week's episode of Is This Legal? Hello, Colin. Hello, Russell. How are you today, sir? I am having a good day so far. I'm excited to get down to it. I am too, man. I'm always excited. With another Is This Legal? It's always fun. It is always fun. So today, we are going to be talking about some stuff that has been in the news. We're going to be talking about the January 6th Select Committee and the various legal challenges that they have gone through recently. But to talk about that, Colin, I think we need to just touch on why the January 6th Select Committee was, in fact, formed. Well, I'm guessing that something happened on January 6th of note. We are just over one year out from when the election from 2020 was being certified in Congress. There was a rally for people who supported President Trump. Now, remember, at this time, President Trump and many other people were saying the election had been stolen. At this rally, people moved from the rally and they marched on the Capitol. It turned from a protest, from a peaceful gathering, into a violent riot, injuring 140 Capitol police members, they breached the Capitol. They were in the halls. We did a podcast on the January 6th insurrection back just after January 6th. So you can go back and listen to that for the details on that. But one of the things that grew out of that day, that dark day in U.S. history, was the January 6th Select Committee. Colin, what is the January 6th Select Committee? The House Select Committee on the January 6th attack, as it, as it is now called, uh, was created in Congress uh, in a semi-bipartisan effort, but it really wasn't that bipartisan. It was mostly partisan. I, I think there um, were eight Republicans, eight or nine, who voted uh, for uh, it. There were, it was a handful. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, this, this committee was created, and um, the purpose of the committee, which is, is, which is actually important, uh, was uh, to investigate the attack with regard to the funding of the attack, uh, individuals' motivations, people who were there, why were they there, uh, the response of the Capitol Police, and uh, importantly, how Donald Trump and others in his circle might have pressured politicians and what they actually did that day. Um, so <clears throat> the goal of, the, uh, of this committee is, is basically to understand what happened, how it happened, and also to look at the, the possibility of crafting future legislation that will further clarify procedures for certifying presidential elections so that this never happens again. But, so um, <clears throat> they've been meeting now. Uh, there's eight members of Congress. Russ, uh, wh- wh- how, what have they been up to? So they have been busy. They have been interviewing. They've interviewed uh, somewhere around 300 people. They have gone through 
thousands of pages of documentation. Um, they have, most of those individuals, those 300, agreed to cooperate with them. So they basically would send out a letter saying, Colin McAllen, I'd like to have you come in and speak to us about the events on or around January 6th of last year and tell us what you know. Those 300 people, by and large, have cooperated with that. They have come in and they have talked. They have provided documents that they've had. So they've, they've looked at over 35,000 documents. So it is reams and reams of things. And this has been ongoing for quite some time. Um, when, when was it actually formed in June? Formed in July of 2021. Okay. And um, they have been working pretty diligently since then, including right now. I mean, they're, they're still in session. They're still uh, conducting their investigation. They are interviewing witnesses in person. They're conducting depositions. They've asked some people to come in, as you said, voluntarily. Some people are being subpoenaed. Some people right. are de- defying those subpoenas. We'll talk about that later. Um, you know, and, and look, folks, uh, my name's not Sean Hannity. Uh, Russ, I don't think your name is Rachel Maddow. Uh, I don't think uh, Chris Matthews is in here. This, this isn't an episode of Crossfire. <laughs> uh, we're not going to be getting into, uh, uh, we're not weighing in on the, on the political undertones of this whole thing. It's, that's, you all have your own opinion. That's been done enough. We're really just going to focus on, uh, we're, we're going to be talking about a Supreme Court opinion uh, that was just issued three days ago at the time of this recording, very new, uh, that affects uh, the release of some documents that the committee has asked for and that former President Donald Trump does not want released to the public. And, and filed gonna, suit. Exactly. So and we're, we're going to be focusing our attention on this Supreme Court opinion uh, and kind of the events leading up to it. Right, Russ? That That's exactly right. Because, you know, earlier, Colin, you said the purpose of this committee is legislative. It is to essentially use the information that they gather to inform them on how to draft new legislation that will essentially clarify procedures for certifying presidential elections. So they're trying to avoid another situation like that, at least purportedly, right? Right. So whatever your belief is out there on whether on the election, um, that's what they say. Trump's lawyers and Trump says, No, that's not why they're doing this. They're not doing this for a valid legislative purpose. They're doing this because they're looking to try to throw people in jail. Possibly Donald Trump in jail. (laughs) Right, exactly. Um, They're basically saying that Biden and the Democrats are using this to their own political advantage, and that's going to result in permanent damage to the institution of the presidency. Right. So uh, that's what we're talking about today, and... and uh, we're going to walk you through kind of uh, where the Supreme Court has most recently gotten involved in this case. So here is kind of what is going on. The House Select Committee, um, these eight representatives, they have subpoena power. They, they, they have pretty broad subpoena powers uh, as it relates to what, what their mission is. And so they are within their rights to basically seek any information they can via witness testimony, via documentation, uh, that that fulfill the purpose that they are investigating. And so some of the uh, documents that they are interested in, which are retained by the National Archives, which is this, it's this best, basically this federal institution that um, 
retains. It's, it's a repository for documentations from all sorts of different branches of the federal government. Um, the White House, uh, it, it, it houses documents related to the presidency, to the White House, basically throughout history. It uh, contains, I mean, this is this is the agency that uh, that protects the Declaration of Independence right. and the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, things like that. It, it essentially safeguards all these historical government documents. And, Safeguards is a great word that you used because a lot of these documents, as you as you might imagine, as they relate to the goings on of the federal government, have sensitive information. Yes. I mean, think about any sort of foreign conflict. You know, for example, presidential memoranda about what action should be taken uh, for like an airstrike against. I'm making this up. Syria, for right. example, that a lot of those memorandum would be referred to the National Archives for storage and for safekeeping, and and not for public view. Absolutely, and that's exactly what we're going to be getting into. So, what what's going on here? The House Select Committee wants records from the White House inner circle. Okay, right. and and the documents that they're looking for are include, but are not limited to. Um, speech drafts that President Trump was going to be making on January 6th, call-in visitor logs in the days leading up to the attack, handwritten notes and other files uh, previously kept by senior Trump aides like Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, Advisor Stephen Miller, Press Secretary, uh, then Press Secretary Kaylee uh, McKinney, uh, what, McEnany? Is it, what, Mc, I McEnany? I, I can't remember her name. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> McEnany and White House uh, Associate Counsel Patrick Philbin. That's just among some of the documents that they are looking for. So they've asked for these documents. And Russ, that request gets referred to the sitting president. Right. Because, because like we talked about, a lot of the documents held by the National Archive are very sensitive and they have national security implications. Right. Like you do not want our enemies out there in the world to know the inner workings of our decision-making of things that we considered. So these are national security interest documents. So it gets referred to the sitting president to basically ask him, Hey, is there privilege here? Do we need to not release this stuff for a national security reason? And to be clear, the sitting president we are referring to <laughs> is Joe Biden. Right. Uh, he's the current president. He's the incumbent president. That's what, uh, that's what we're calling him as it relates to this discussion. Um, they do not go to Donald Trump to see whether or not there is an executive privilege there. And then the only reason that is the case is because he is no longer president. Right. Although that's not what he says. His argument is, I was the sitting president at the time. Therefore, I can exert executive privilege on any of the documents that were created when I was the sitting president. So... More really quickly on this notion of executive privilege, okay? This is probably a term many of you have heard before because it's been invoked by several presidents in recent years. Um, so executive privilege is this notion, Russ was just talking about it. it it's, it's, the, it's, it's, I guess, the secrecy and confidentiality that is afforded to a president and his advisors related to any sort of presidential decision-making or... Um, 
powers that they have. And so uh, there is a privilege. It's not codified in the United States Constitution, but there was a very uh, important landmark case in the 70s. You may have heard about it, U.S. v. Nixon. It involved President Nixon, and it, uh, the central issue there was whether or not a special prosecutor would be able to have access to the Watergate tapes, which were, of course, tape recordings of President Nixon and his advisors, um, which were talking about the Watergate scandal, which obviously dealt with potential criminal liability. Um, and which is, it's made the break President in, Nixon look really, really bad. Right. It's the break in uh, to, to the Watergate Hotel. Right. And so that decision, uh, that Supreme Court decision basically indicated that they, the Supreme Court recognizes that there is a privilege. Right. Um, but that the privilege is not absolute. Right. The privilege can be waived yep. and the privilege must be held by the incumbent president. Yeah. And, and they basically came forward with a balancing test. They basically said once, once a president's, once the incumbent president, so in this case, Biden, um, says there is a privilege, then to overcome that, the other side must show that disclosure is essential to justice. Okay. Right. Um, so it's basically the, or you mean non-disclosure? No, it, disclosure would be essential to the justice of the case. So it's basically a balancing test that says if the generalized need for confidentiality was outweighed by the criminal investigation, then privilege exists. Okay. okay? Th- that was the case in Nixon. That was the case in Nixon. Got it. Exactly. All so right. Nixon, yeah, they said, yeah, the, the privilege, there is a privilege. Nixon was the sitting president. Nixon asserted the privilege. The court said, even though there is a privilege... It's outweighed by the interest in justice in this case, specifically because it's a criminal prosecution. That's right. Okay. So this case, was there, was there privilege correctly asserted, Colin? Uh, not according to the courts that have looked at this, but we're going to take it one step at a time. Um, well, let's make sure we go kind of court by court because there have been decisions and then there have been appeals and we want to make sure we keep everybody straight. Okay. So the issue is, uh, so, so here's what happened. Um, the House Selection Committee, they request these documents. Uh, the, the, the National uh, Archives, I can't remember, the, it's NARA, I don't remember what the acronym stands, but the, the National Archives right. Office, they go to, to Biden, they say, hey, is there a privilege here? Biden says, no, there's not. Uh, we okay the release. President Trump, as uh, a former sitting president, filed suit in federal court in, in the DC in, in the uh, DC, DC circuit, circuit. And uh, basically said, no, I am claiming privilege and I want the court to recognize my privilege and block the release of these documents. Um, real quickly there, an aside, I mean, it, it's interesting that he has chosen to do this. There, there must be documents that he does not want released um, because obviously he knows what the, the archives might hold. And he has decided, look, I don't want these being enough to where he feels like he needs to file suit to protect the release of these documents. Um, so he does so importantly, he files suit, not as Donald Trump, the individual, but as Donald Trump, the former sitting president, that will be important in our discussion later because it it actually creates limitations on what he can argue as a plaintiff. But he's saying, I hold this privilege. I want it enforced and I want to block the release of these documents. So he files in district court, Russ, what happens? District court says, I don't think so, former President Trump. Uh, you do not have a right to assert privilege. You are a former president. You are not the sitting president. And we are going to deny your application to block the release of this 
these documents. That's exactly right. And I'll tell you what, for an appellate court, these things are moving very quickly. So he filed suit, Russ, in October. Uh, the district court heard the case, heard arguments, and issued a ruling on November 9th. Very fast. And um, you know, there was one piece of language from that opinion that I, I just felt like was, was pretty interesting. Uh, the judge, in, in, in ruling against Trump, said that Trump's argument appears premised on the notion that his executive power exists in perpetuity, but presidents are not kings, and plaintiff is not president. So again, what uh, the, the, the decision that the judge made in that case was very much predicated on the notion that, look, you're not the president anymore, man. Right. Uh, you know, the, the, the executive power is being held by a different person. That person's saying there's no privilege. So you, as a former president, when you're saying there is privilege, but the, you know, the existing president says there, the president says there is no privilege, sitting president trumps Trump. That, that's why, like, ex-NFL coaches who go back to watch games can't throw challenge flags. <laughs> you know? Like, I mean... Shit. Like, after the game is right. played, I two mean, years later, I'm throwing a flag or for no, what happened in that Browns game in 2018. <laughs> that's a great analogy, Russ. So, so this goes to the Court of Appeals, okay? Yeah. So this goes up to the Court of Appeals. Trump appeals it immediately, Okay. And uh, we are going to get to what the Court of Appeals said, as well as kind of looking forward and figuring out what's next. Including potential criminal liability for people in Trump's circle and Trump himself after, is this legal? All right. And now we are at the game show portion of our podcast. Uh, in a minute, we're going to play Is This Legal? But uh, here is a call out to all of our listeners. Would you like to be a guest on our podcast? As you guys know, we sometimes have guests on our show, <clears throat> and we would love to have you play Is This Legal with us. So if you want to be a future contestant on our podcast, hit us up on Twitter at Is This Legal Pod. Let us know why you want to be a guest. And what? maybe, maybe we will get you on the show sometime, right? That sounds great. Give us your best pitch as to why you are deserving to be on Is This Legal? No, no nudes, please. Uh, just, <laughs> we, you know. we get enough of those anyway. <laughs> like, I'm inundated. I've been, like, seriously, I've seen enough of that. So, um, But to, today, we're going to actually just play with, uh, with you, the listener. We're, we don't have a guest today, so we've got a, an Is This Legal uh, ready to go. So, Russ, are you ready to play? Is this legal? All right, here we go. Everyone out there, put on your thinking caps. And remember, I think I think the rule is if, if you if you think well, <laughs> if you get it right, you honk twenty five times. 20, I think, <laughs> and if you're wrong, you honk thirty right. times. Right. right. We, we want to simplify this right. as much right. as possible for you. We, we want to make sure everyone knows what you're doing because <laughs> you know if you only honk once or twice, they may think you're mad at them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Russ, what do we got? Tell me Jebediah's involved. Please. Jebediah and our friend, good friend Cornelius, are both involved. Surprisingly, Jebediah and Cornelius are still on good terms after their recent close call with a forest fire. Fans of the show will remember that Jebediah's moonshine still unfortunately blew up, and he ended up in the clank for driving Cornelius to safety while drunk. Well, 
Cornelius felt really bad about this from his new bestie, and he wanted to help Jebediah pay for a new still and help pay for those legal fees, because remember, he was successful in getting acquitted using the choice of evils defense. From last episode. If anyone wants to know what we're talking about, go listen to last episode, then come back. But he came up with a harebrained scheme of robbing the local Quickie Mart. He has Jebediah drive him there, telling Jebediah his plan and that his gun is unloaded. It's just for show. Unbeknownst to Jebediah, the gun is actually loaded. Cornelius goes in, and being unaccustomed to armed robbery, he is understandably extremely nervous. He's so nervous, in fact, that his shaking hands accidentally pulls the trigger as he's asking for the cash, killing the clerk. He runs out, and Jebediah drives them the heck out of Dodge. After a brief chase, they're arrested, and Cornelius is charged with robbery and murder. The question for all of you listeners out there is, can Jebediah also be charged with murder even though he was not in the store and didn't even know the gun was loaded. So if I get this straight, Jebediah is just a getaway driver uh, and doesn't even know that uh, Cornelius has a loaded gun. You got it. Doesn't know he intend that Cornelius uh, is intending, or maybe not intending on killing somebody. Do I have that right? Right. Not yeah. Not even intending to kill someone. He, but he does know that he's intending to hold up the store. It's a sticky situation. All right. It is a tough one. It's a tough one our our friends find themselves in. Yeah. So everybody out there, you think you got your answer? Got your answer locked in? Can uh, can Jebediah be charged with murder? Yes or no? The answer is... Yes. Yes, Je- he can. Jebediah can be charged with murder under the felony murder principle. Yep. Felony murder is a concept where basically if an actor is engaged in the commission of any felony offense and someone dies during the commission of that offense, um, everybody who was involved in the commission of the felony is also liable for the murder. So that's what we call the felony murder statute. In this particular case, it does not matter that Jebediah never set foot in the store. It does not matter that he didn't pull the trigger. It doesn't matter that he... Uh, didn't know that uh, Cornelius was going in to um, shoot somebody. Doesn't even, it doesn't even matter that it was an accident. Right. What does matter is the fact that Jebediah knew that Cornelius was planning on robbing, uh, robbing a store. That is robbery. That is a felony. And because the clerk was killed in the commission of a felony, that makes Jebediah responsible for the murder. And uh, Jebediah is looking at a life sentence. So everyone out there who said, yes, you're smart. You should lord it over everyone around you. Maybe they should have stayed uh, outside with that forest fire. I mean, that seems. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that may, uh, <laughs> pick your poison <laughs> might be better than rotting in the in the Big Easy. The Big yeah. Easy? No, uh, that's a, big that's, New that's New Orleans. That's New Orleans. I mean, that'd well, be great. A prison be in nice. New Orleans. It's <laughs> yeah, happened in New Orleans, <laughs> right. so they're in the big house in, in the, the Big, big easy. easy. Right. So, um, and so that's the answer. Let's see how many of you out there got. We're listening for the honks. Oh, we're hearing them. Uh, there's 25. Oh, there's 30. Some of you got it wrong. Okay. Well, uh, we'll be back. We're going to come back to the podcast now. Thanks for playing with us. Here's the rest of the show.
Welcome back, everyone. So let's get back into this analysis of what's going on with the Trump lawsuits trying to prevent the disclosure of all of these documents. So, so far, the circuit court in D.C. has ruled against Trump. Has That's said, a single judge, one federal judge at the district level. Yep, yep, has said, you do not have the right to assert this privilege. Trump, as we said, immediately appeals. It goes up. Colin, what happens at the next level? Next step is the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. This is, an all, this is also a federal court. <clears throat> and again, things are moving pretty quickly. The district court, to remind you, uh, made her decision on November 9th. Um, Trump immediately appeals. Uh, a three-judge appellate court uh, hears his appeal. And they issue their decision exactly one month after the lower court ruled. And they agreed with the lower court. They affirmed the lower court's ruling, ruling against Donald Trump. And they again repeat that uh, this is a pretty big rebuke, actually. First of all, the person who authored this opinion was a Trump appointee. Um, And uh, he authored the opinion, and they say several things. First of all, uh, they rule that his claim of executive privilege fails because he's not the sitting president. But they also say that even if he were the sitting president, that executive privilege should not apply to these documents. So they really kind of suck the wind out of their uh, out of his sails because they say, look, <laughs> not only are we saying this doesn't apply because you're a former president and the current president has said that there is no privilege, but also even if you were president, Mr. Trump, uh, we're finding that your claim of executive privilege doesn't even uh, doesn't even make sense in this particular case. It's it's unfounded, mm-hmm. or it's the balancing test that we talked about is not met. That's correct. So I mean, the, the this opinion, I actually read the whole thing. It's a long opinion, uh, very very thorough, and the thing the the echoing factor that drove the appellate court decision is this event on January sixth was so big it was so unprecedented it was you know they they talk about how the capital hasn't been under siege like that since the war of eighteen twelve um this was a momentous uh moment <laughs> momentous <laughs> moment for our country and <clears throat> there is a ton of weight that should be given both the request that Congress has made in looking for these documents, as well as there should be tremendous weight afforded to the Biden administration for saying that executive privilege doesn't apply. And so they go through this, they talk about how important this event was, how important the documents surrounding the event are, and that basically Donald Trump's arguments fail on every conceivable level. Um, So this was a pretty good uh, rebuke, smackdown, you might even say, uh, to the Trump team saying, look, all of your arguments are merit- are not meritorious and um, we're ruling against you. And Colin, it's a three-judge panel. Was this a unanimous decision? This was a unanimous decision. All three judges agreed. Okay. That's right. All right. And I'll, I'll say one more thing too. This is, this is something that I alluded to earlier. Remember that Donald Trump, he, he, he's actually kind of arguing two things. He's saying, look, as a former president, I get to argue executive privilege. He's also saying, look, the production of these documents this is just basically trying to smear me as a man. It's the, a witch you know, hunt. This is a witch hunt. The, this is a fishing expedition. This is only made, the, the, all of this is being done for political gain only right. in an attempt to defame me. The reason that's important, uh, the, the, uh, the Circuit Court of Appeals, they actually talk about that at length. And they say, you know, Mr. Trump, you're, you're saying that the release of these documents are going to hurt you personally, and yet you sued as a former president, right. not as an individual. Right. We don't care 
if you get impugned by this, because you, an individual can't claim presidential executive privilege. Right. And right. so, so he's, it, he's trying to ride two he's horses. He's riding two horses, and the, co- uh, the Court of Appeals called him out on that. And you can only ride two horses if you're like one of those stunt guys at the rodeo. Yeah, and he, <laughs> and he, even then, and it's Trump's really, not. really hard. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you need like four sets of legs in order to do it right. Um, so, you know, it's tough. So anyway, um, that's what the Court of Appeals said. Now, as we mentioned at the top of the podcast, I, I think I remember distinctly remember saying the Supreme Court, not the Court of Appeals. When did the Supreme Court get involved with this, Russ? So there was a petition by Trump to have the Supreme Court decide this issue. Trump essentially tried to appeal up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court, now if you if you listen to our Supreme Court podcast, you'll remember the Supreme Court has the ability to either grant or deny cert or certiorari. And what that means is they'll say, yes, we will hear the case and issue a ruling on the merits, or we feel that this does not need us yeah, they, to rule on it. They're Unlike a court of appeals, which has to rule on every single case that gets filed before them, the Supreme Court has a lot of selective authority. They can just decline flat out to hear cases and say, and, and if they do that, Russ, w- what happens? What does that mean? Then the lower court's ruling stands. Essentially, so whatever the Court of Appeals said, if the Supreme Court denies cert, then that's the the law of the land. Right. So uh, what happened on January 19th? Uh, Just, again, three days uh, ago as we're recording this podcast, Russ. So the Supreme Court released an unsigned opinion basically saying we are not going to hear this case. We are refusing to take it up on cert. And that Mm -hmm. was signed on. It it was unsigned, but it was an eight to one decision not to grant cert. That's right. Justice Thomas was the only justice who said he would have heard the case and ruled on it on the merits. That is really interesting to me, Russ, and I'll tell you why. Uh, Donald Trump appointed three Supreme Court justices in four years. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a big number. Not one of these appointees of his came to his rescue. Um, <clears throat> interestingly enough, Justice Kavanaugh kind of made a statement suggesting that some of the lower court's rulings should not be considered binding, but he agreed with the majority saying we should not hear this case, which essentially leaves the lower court, the appellate court ruling undisturbed, which again ruled against Trump and said there is no executive privilege. So I I just find the fact that the only justice who came to his defense was Thomas. I mean, it's not a surprise that Thomas, who's a very, very staunch conservative member of the court, that's that's not a surprise, but I would have expected at least one of his appointees, uh, maybe all three of them, to come to his aid and say, yeah, we'll hear this case. But they didn't. They didn't, and that's the end of it, which means all of these documents, roughly 800 documents, are now in the process of being released. We we are expecting the select committee to have them probably on Monday. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to be published to the public, Russ. No. Uh, The the, the House has to agree that these records uh, could be made public. They have to vote on it, Um, but but all that matters is is that this House committee is going to get these records. And um, Russ, I think this feels like a good segue. I mean, now that we've received this ruling from the Supreme Court indicating that these records are going to get released related to January 6th, 
What does that mean down the road for Trump and people in his inner circle with regard to either civil or criminal liability? Virtually everyone I talk to about issues surrounding this ask, what's the criminal liability? Right. Right. So here's what we know. Like, we know that the select committee does not have the power to initiate criminal proceedings, okay? Their purported intent is legislative, right? But they do have the ability to refer things to the Department of Justice if they believe that a criminal investigation is warranted. That's right. Then it's up to the Department of Justice to determine whether or not charges will be filed. Right. Here's how this plays out in practice, because this has happened. The select committee subpoenaed Steve Bannon. The select committee subpoenaed Mark Meadows. Both of those men refused, well, Steve Bannon immediately refused to comply with the subpoena. He basically, Steve Bannon said, I assert executive privilege from Trump um, and say that I don't have to answer because of executive privilege. I mean, that that fails on so many levels, Colin. Whether you're a Steve Bannon fan or not out there listening, um, first of all, Steve Bannon, who has not been part of the White House staff for four years, three years prior to this, cannot exert executive privilege based on something that happened three years after he was out of the White House. That's right. He's not covered by executive privilege anymore. So the... Here's how it works. The committee within itself, those eight members, vote on whether to hold him in contempt. They voted and held him in contempt. They then referred it to the full house for a vote. The full house voted to hold him in contempt by a 229 to 202 vote. So that was almost exactly party Party line. line. With the exception of two crossovers, right? There were actually nine crossovers on that. Oh, okay. My mistake. So nine Republicans. So the two on the committee, uh, which is Kinzinger and Cheney, um, plus seven others, voted along with the Democrats to hold him in contempt for not complying with a valid subpoena. That then meant it gets referred to the Department of Justice. On November 12th, the Department of Justice said, yes, we are going to indict Steve Bannon on contempt charges. He surrendered himself on the 15th, just a couple days later. He is now facing, he's in the process of defending himself. He has pled not guilty. He is facing up to one year in jail and up to a fine of $100,000 for failure to comply with a subpoena, which is a federal crime of criminal contempt. Okay, so that's how it works. Same thing's happening with Mark Meadows right now. Um, They referred it. It went through the select committee. They said, yes, we're going to refer it to the DOJ, went to the full house. That was a 222 to 209 vote. So it was closer. You didn't have those seven other Republicans didn't go along with that. Um, But it got referred. We're still waiting for the indictment out of the DOJ if they decide to indict. Right. Now, again, this podcast, I'm realizing as we talk about it, it's actually a pretty good primer on the separate branches of government, right? And how there's checks and balances in in this country. I mean, you've got, we've, we've talked ad nauseum at this point about how the legislature doesn't have enforcement capabilities, right? They're not law enforcement. But, um, you know, the reason that, you know, some of these folks aren't out of the woods on this is because, you know, the, the, this committee is taking sworn testimony 
from a lot of different yes, people. Yes. And if if they believe that a crime has been committed, while they can't while they can't as a body issue a warrant out for people's arrest, they can refer their information to the DOJ, to the Department of Justice, who can issue warrants. And you know, it, 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 it's interesting to me, Russ, I don't know if these are related, but we are starting to see some criminal charges for people who were involved in the January 6th attack, not the people who were arrested that we talked about, you know, right after this happened, but I'm talking about people like the founder of the Oath Keepers, um, who uh, was was just indicted for sedition. Um, you know, that, and, and, and it's hard to imagine that some of the information that has come out of this committee hearing certainly is going to be relevant to that criminal investigation. Absolutely. And so we're expecting this, the work of this committee to bleed over to the executive branch through the Department of Justice to start, you know, basically start issuing warrants and charging people with crimes related to this. Uh, if, you know, and we're talking about higher level people. Yeah, absolutely. And to like, just expand on what you said, you know, the select committee is taking sworn testimony, which means if you go in there and lie, that's perjury. So you could be charged with perjury out of that. Again, referred to the DOJ. DOJ goes back to the select committee and says, we can prove you're lying here under oath because this is testimony under oath. Therefore, you're charged with perjury. So here's the exposure to Trump, okay? The exposure to Trump is, in, in this whole thing, there is potential that, and, and Cheney, I think, referenced this. He could be looking at obstruction of the electoral certification proceedings. That is a federal crime. It is a serious federal crime. For the Oath Keepers that you referenced, you know, they're looking at um, seditious conspiracy that carries up to 20 years in federal prison. And to do that, you basically have to say there is essentially um, a conspiracy. So if it's two or more people, conspire to overthrow, put down, or destroy by force the federal government, or to seize, take, or possess any property of the United States, or to hinder the execution of any law of the United States, that's seditious conspiracy. This is, by the way, different than, you know, the charges that we've seen uh, the lower level people be exposed to. I mean, the, the guy with the the horns on his head. You, right. I, I don't Buffalo. Re- the, the, the the shaman. What yeah, was his name? The, the, the QAnon shaman. shaman. <laughs> you know, all those guys. I mean, not to minimize their crimes because they were federal crimes. Many of them are, are serving months and months in prison. But when we're, we're, what Russ is referring to, these are serious sedition type crimes where we're talking about decades in prison. Right. And we're only starting to see the emergence of some of those more serious charges play out uh, in the DOJ investigation. Exactly. And so those are, those are the things that are potentially at play moving forward. We have no idea. Like I'm, yeah, we're I mean, not is Trump going to get charged. Right. Who the hell knows? I mean, there, right. there are so many political undertones to this whole thing. Even, even if they have the ability to charge him, will they, I don't know. Uh, you know. and, and I think even even do they have do they have information to charge him is a huge stretch right now based on the information we have right right but what they're trying to do what this committee is trying to do like these documents that they're getting these 800 pages this is going to allow them to really focus their questions on people who come in because they're going to be able to say okay um, Mark Meadows or um, wh- whoever 
whoever is was in his inner circle, I have a handwritten note here that talks about the response. Right. What did you mean by that? Right. And, and you know, again, will Trump get charged? Who knows? But if he runs for president again, maybe this stuff is going to really affect him, especially if some of it gets released to the public. If he, if he gets charged or convicted of anything, he's not running again. All right. Well, but remember, uh, as I think we've discussed in previous podcasts, you know, the best way to avo- uh, avoid criminal liability, Russ, is to become president of the United States. <laughs> right. A um, lot of immunity there. Um, so, all right. Well, there you go. So this, it, it, let, let's put a bow on this. I mean, this was definitely a big blow to Trump. I mean, this is, this was a huge ruling against him. Um, he's obviously, you know, going to be subject to scrutiny based on the release of some of these documents. Clearly, clearly he did not want released. I right. mean, when you, when you file a lawsuit, when you appeal it all the way to the Supreme court, you're fighting tooth and nail to keep certain documents from uh, seeing the light of day. Right. Uh, he lost that fight. I guess we're all going to see together, uh, what comes out of it. But, uh, that is the latest, uh, saga involving former president Donald Trump. So, uh, why don't we move on to, um, Oh, I don't know. Something a little bit more fun. Something a little, a little bit more silly. Uh, something a little bit more dumb, Russ. Is How about what I'm a little? For. DCOTW. Hell yeah, man! It I'm is that. It is time for the dumb criminal of the week. <sighs> Waiting forever for this. I got a banger for you today, Colin. Yeah, so for, these, for, the, for those of you who don't know, R- Russ and I kind of, we pick these things out at random. We usually don't talk to each other about them. I have no idea what madness and nonsense Russ is about to uh, lay on us, but it's, I can't wait. It's, it's, it's worth the wait. <laughs> <laughs> so so this, this dumb criminal of the week is about Rocco Di Caroles. From Manchester, New Hampshire. I love his name. I mean, I'm, right. al- I'm already Rocco. loving his name. Good old Rocco. <laughs> <laughs> you know Rocco's good peeps. So what Rocco does is <laughs> Rocco walks into a very small family-owned convenience store. Just inside the door is one of those giant displays containing the store's lottery tickets. You know, we're talking about probably four feet by four feet and probably at least six inches to a foot deep, right? He goes up to it. He grabs it. He muscles it off the counter and out the door, right? (laughs) So... So now this is not the type of thing you can be subtle about, right? You, you, you're, he's I'm not picturing a pretty big machine. Here. Yes. You are not surreptitiously hiding it under your shirt and <laughs> sidestepping out the door. Right? So his actions immediately caught the attention of the clerk who chased him immediately out the door. She catches up to him within probably 15 feet as he's like at his car, but unable to open the door because (laughs) he's holding this giant thing. Um, He ditches it. He puts it down and starts running on foot. Now it gets better, Colin. Oh, wow. It's already good. It's already good. It gets better because a customer sees this happening. A customer who is in their car, they chase him. They catch up to him. They, they offer him a ride, Colin, and Rocco 
accepts. <laughs> I'm sure he thinks people sure are nice in this town. <laughs> I, I, I need to get away right now. This is great. So he hops in the car. The person promptly turns around and drives back to the convenience store where by now the police are waiting to arrest him. Wow. They charge good old Rocco with attempted robbery and criminal mischief for the damage in pulling this thing out of the store. Yes, as they should. There are so many aspects of this that are ridiculously dumb. Where to um, begin? Where, I mean, uh, Colin, what comes to mind for you? <laughs> um, I, I guess when you told the story, uh, what I'm thinking is, why didn't Rocco jump out of the car when the driver turned around? I mean, that's, that's interesting. You know, I changed my mind. I, I think maybe I'm going to not accept your ride and go that way. Yeah. Why did Rocco get into the car in the first place? Like, or, or even before that, what, how was he thinking this was going to work carrying this giant thing? Like he needed Jebediah out there waiting for him with the door open, like the trunk open, throw it in and then take off. So, so quick side story on this. Cause it reminded me of this. Um, you know, I, I look, Colin McCallum is not perfect. Everybody, um, back, uh, you know, back a long time ago, um, I may or may not have, uh, stolen a gumball machine from a uh, law school. <laughs> um, <laughs> from law school. Yeah. um, I, I'm not going to get into any of the pesky details around that. I will say this. It was incredibly impulsive. I did uh-huh. not have a plan uh-huh. um, other than, oh, that looks fun. Um, you know, and I kind of did it. It seems like this guy is operating on the same wavelength. It seems like very impulsive, like, oh, that looks like a good thing to steal. Uh, but he didn't really think about his getaway, his storage. How about, uh, how, about how about you just stole a bunch of things that are marked and like, they are all trackable. Sure. And the, that, that's a great, point. The, the store. I knows, didn't even think of that. The store knows exactly what tickets <laughs> it has. All he had to, even if he got away, he goes to try to redeem one. They say, Oh, this was stolen from the quickie Mart on right. 14th. Yeah. Let's um, go ahead and arrest. Getting into the right. I mean, it, it's Russ. It's all stupid. <laughs> uh, by, by the way, stealing a gumball machine out of a law school. That was stupid. I mean, that, that's a DCTOW right there, but, uh, I, this guy was really stupid. Uh, you know, gumball machine, uh, lottery ticket dispenser are two different things. I, would think. <laughs> I mean, think about what is like, what, what his plan was for the future. He was going to go home and just like spend the next five days with a penny, just <laughs> scraping off some lottery tickets. I spent the next five days eating gum. <laughs> right. Um, you know, again, my, I, I don't, I don't know who's smarter in that instance. <laughs> I think the joke's on me probably. I don't know. You at least got it some. It was tangible. good gum. Right. There you go. Um, okay. I'm going to get just five, five knuckleheads. That's yeah. my rating. You don't, I, 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 if I had seven, I'd give him seven. I, I wish I had more knuckles to give him more knuckleheads. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to give him five as well. There's, Rocco, well done. <laughs> Rocco, Thank you for entertaining us. 10, 10 knuckles for you. Yeah. All right. Well, there we go. Uh, that is another, is this legal, uh, wrapped up in the books? Uh, please, everybody. Uh, we again, invite you to give us feedback uh, if you want to be a guest on our show, hit us up on Twitter. Um, we have a Facebook page at Hebbets McCallan. If you want to send us an email, we've got an email address. It's really easy to remember. DenverCrimeLaw at gmail.com. Uh, shoot us an email. Do you have a podcast topic? Want to give us feedback on our show? Want to tell us we suck? Hey, we're, we're equal opportunity <laughs> comment viewers, if there is such a thing. So let us know. Hit us up. Russ, you got anything else? 
Nothing else. Be safe, everyone. Till next time. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Is This Legal? See you next time.